be kind of like a, an introduction to the message of this remarkable prophet. Uh, but before we get into the text, we need to understand something of the historical background. At what point is Jeremiah proclaiming his message? Who's he speaking to and why? In fact, what I'm about to explain is so important that if we don't grasp it, there's going to be huge chunks of the Old Testament uh, that we won't really understand. Uh, so very briefly, we have the uh, slide. King Solomon, David's son, was the last king to rule over the whole of Israel. Because shortly after his son, uh, Rehoboam took the throne in 931 BC, the kingdom of Israel was split in two. The ten northern tribes, they became known as Israel. They were led by one of Solomon's former officials, uh, a guy called Jeroboam, and their capital was in Samaria. The two southern tribes, known as Judah, or they became known as Judah, and they were led by Rehoboam, and their capital was in Samaria. And then about 200 years later, the ten northern tribes, they were taken off into captivity by the Assyrians, and that was it for them. They never returned to the land as one homogenous people group. No more northern kingdom. And then in 587 BC, the same thing happened to the southern tribes, to Judah. Only this time they were carried off into captivity by the new world superpower, which was the Babylonians. Uh, but they were eventually released and they returned to Jerusalem, they returned to the land. And Jeremiah is writing, just before the people of Israel, or Judah, are carried off into captivity by the Babylonians. So it's important to understand uh, where we are in the overall uh, story. So if you can uh, knock that off, that's the, that's the backdrop, if you like. Now, Jeremiah is speaking on behalf of God, and God's complaint against Judah is that he's given them so much, and yet they've abandoned him. God has rescued them from slavery in Egypt. He's brought them through the desert wilderness. Uh, he's brought them into a fertile land. These people have got all that they were promised. They've got all that they need. And now they're walking away from God. And worse still, they've exchanged the one true God for worthless idols, verse 5. They've exchanged an all-loving, all-powerful, creator God for a lump of wood. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound to me like a very good exchange. Now, I wouldn't exchange my Aston Martin. I don't have an Aston Martin. But if I did, I wouldn't exchange it for a supermarket trolley with no wheels. I mean, that, that, that'd be crazy. So why would anyone exchange the living God for a, a lifeless block of wood? What reason could anyone have for making such a foolish exchange. Well actually they did it probably for the same reasons that very often we push God to one side in our lives. They did it for ease, they did it because they grew impatient with God and they did it because of a desire to be in control. Ease, impatience, a desire to be in control. So firstly ease. Uh, Israel, it, well it's Judah really, but uh, Jeremiah is calling them uh, Israel, so we'll stick with that. Uh, they stopped following Yahweh, the one true God, and instead they were worshipping the Canaanite god, Baal. Now Baal is a big problem at the time. Uh, Jeremiah mentions him 13 times, and 
Israel keeps switching their allegiance uh, to Baal, this god uh, that isn't really a god at all. I mean, at best, they were worshipping Baal alongside Yahweh in a, in, a, in a kind of weird and incompatible mix of the two religions. So why were they doing this? Why would they do this? Well, one of the reasons is that Baal doesn't require very much of them. There were very few ethical demands in the Canaanite religious framework. So basically, the people could just go along doing as they pleased. They didn't really have to feel guilty because Baal didn't seem to care whether they're behaving themselves or not. They chose, in other words, the path of least resistance. And sometimes we do that. We keep God at arm's length because we fear what he might ask of us. When I was a teenager, uh, I moved uh, right away from the church. Uh, I think basically because I recognised that if, to follow Jesus would mean that I couldn't have lots of girlfriends. And pushing him away just made it, made it easier to do whatever I wanted to do. If I didn't think about Jesus, uh, I wouldn't feel guilty. That was my mindset. The problem is, I couldn't stop thinking about Jesus. So I lived in a state of tension. I was never really at peace. So often it seems that pushing Jesus away will make our life easier. Because the closer we get to Jesus, the more we become aware of the stuff in our lives that has got to change. And we don't want to change. We can keep uh, Jesus at arm's length for all sorts of reasons. You know, we don't want him to make too many demands on our, on our time, on our money. Uh, we want to be left alone to build uh, our kingdom instead of God's kingdom. We don't want to have to apologise to that uh, family member that we fell out with years ago. We don't want to own up to uh, something that we've done in the past and to have to deal with the fallout from that. We don't want to deal with that sin that perhaps we, we, we quite enjoy, we're not ready to give it up. All sorts of reasons why we might just keep Jesus at arm's length. And I guess keeping uh, Jesus out of, our, out, out of our lives, or at least limiting his influence, it looks like an easy option, perhaps. But in so doing, we're exchanging a spring of living water for brown, stagnant water in a cracked and broken system. So that's the first thing. Israel worshipped Baal because it was easier. And we sometimes limit Jesus' influence in our lives because basically we just want to be left alone to do our own thing. But so often, that path of least resistance can lead to total disaster. So the next reason that Israel turned uh, to uh, their, their back on God is impatience. Impatience. We see so many occasions in Israel's history where they made grave errors because they grew impatient with God. So Moses had gone up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. It wasn't gone all that long, but by the time he came back down, they'd already made a golden calf, an idol. And Israel, when they were wandering in the desert, they were grumbling, they were complaining because they grew impatient with God. So. Historically, impatience is a hallmark of, uh, of Israel. And the reason it comes into play here is this. Within a generation, Israel had made the transition from being, uh, well, from having a nomadic way of life.
to being a fairly settled uh, agricultural uh, community. Now, when they entered the Promised Land, they came into contact with uh, the Canaanites, the Canaanite religion, with Baal, and all that went with it. Now, the Canaanite god Baal was a fertility god. So the Canaanites would call upon Baal uh, for rain and, a, and an abundant harvest. So the Israelites, they were nomads, and now they're farmers. And what do farmers want? They want rain and an abundant harvest. So if it looked like the crops were struggling, the people would grow impatient with God. They'd, they'd want him to act there and then, right now. And they'd start thinking, well, you know, maybe our God, maybe Yahweh, he, he's good at uh, delivering uh, nations out of slavery. He's good at guiding them through the wilderness. Maybe our God is good in the desert. But when it comes to making crops grow, well, perhaps he's not up to much. And when they started thinking like that, how easy it was to turn to the fertility god of the Canaanites. But what am I saying to make? Because Baal was just a worthless idol. It says it twice in our passage. But how often do we make that same mistake? God's not doing what we want him to do. Or he's not working fast enough. So we decide to try and make things happen ourselves, even if that means departing from God's ways. You know, God's not helped us uh, get that promotion at work. So we just work harder and harder uh, at the expense of our health and our family. God's not fixed our marriage, so we, we leave, we walk out. Of course, not all marriages end because someone's grown impatient with God, but that can happen. God's not healed us, so we allow our faith to ebb away. God's not growing the church fast enough, so we leave. We find a different church. I'm really glad you haven't done that. And this passage from Jeremiah warns us of the uh, potentially catastrophic consequences of growing impatient with God and trying to get the job done without him. When things weren't going well for the Israelites, they, they said to themselves, well, you know, Yahweh, he's not coming up with the goods. But look, Baal seems to be working for the Canaanites. Let's give him a go. And if we're not careful, we can do the same thing. Only we make ourselves into little gods. We say, well, you know, God isn't doing what I want to, or what he's asking of me is too much. I'll just do things my own way. We kind of have a natural tendency, I think, to want to do things our own way, don't we? And that brings us to the final factor that led uh, Israel to worship Baal alongside uh, Yahweh, and that is control, our desire to be in control. We, we live in a society that is obsessed with being in control. Look at the amount of advertising aimed at convincing us that a particular product will give us more control over our lives. Uh, I saw a, uh, a poster in the gym the other day and it was advertising nutrient drinks. And it seemed that there was a different powdered drink for whatever fitness goal you, you might happen to have. So there was general health and then there was a photo next to it of a, a very uh, healthy, uh, well-balanced looking couple, perfect teeth. Uh, there was lean muscle and there was this really muscular guy with not an ounce of fat on him. Uh, the photo next to the, uh, the muscle, ma muscle mass drink uh, was a guy that made Arnold Schwarzenegger look a bit puny. And then there was weight loss to uh, two very slim, sporty-looking people. There were other categories as well. I can't remember what they were. Uh, but the whole concept seems to be that all you have to do to have total control 
over your health and your physical appearance is to drink the right flavoured milkshake. <laughs> of course, it's all nonsense, but uh, people buy into it because they want total control over every aspect of their lives. And this desire to be in control, this desire for autonomy, has had a lot to do with the secularisation of many Western societies. As a society, we're distancing ourselves from God and making ourselves into little gods. It's a form of idolatry, not altogether different from uh, worshipping Baal or any other false god. Secularism is a dangerous social experiment and uh, it's one that we are yet to see the full repercussions of. We don't really know uh, exactly where that's headed. Uh, in verse 9, uh, God says, And I accuse your children's children. In other words, the way we live as a society will affect the generations to come. That's why it is so important that our children are nurtured in a Christian community. We, we don't want to cut them off from the world, we can't do that. But we want to open their eyes so that they choose the spring of living water rather than a, a cracked and broken system that they dug themselves. But we have to accept we have to accept that we are not in control. And that is good news. That is a good thing. Because we're not as wise as we think we are. You know, we, we might come up with a plan for our lives quite independently of God. But I can guarantee that plan will not be as rich, fruitful or fulfilling as the plan that God will have for us. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. We are not in control. But that doesn't mean that our lives are out of control. Because God is sovereign. God is in control. And he works for the good of those who love him. And that essential truth, that God is sovereign, he's in control, he wants the best for us. That's what enables us to be patient with God. It's that truth that enables us to, to let go and let God. <coughs> when things aren't going our way, we don't uh, go to <coughs> elsewhere, like the Israelites running after Baal. We don't disregard Jesus and try and make do without him. Because if we do that, we're turning our backs on a spring of living water. We're turning our backs on the source of all life. When Israel turned to Baal, it's not that they were choosing a slightly inferior option. They were choosing a disastrous option. I've done a bit of uh, climbing and abseiling in the past and uh, different climbing ropes have different braking strains. So you might get one with a braking strain of 2,000 kilos and another with a braking strain of 5,000 kilos. You, you could choose either of those ropes. It won't make uh, too much difference. They're both going to easily support your weight. You can rely on them. But the choice between God and Baal or between following Jesus and following our own uh, whims and desires is not that kind of a choice. That would be more like having a climbing rope with a braking strain of 5,000 kilos compared to a frayed cord with a braking strain of about 10 kilos. That is definitely going to snap if you, if you put any weight on it. I mean, seriously, if you're going to have to sail down a cliff, what are you going to choose? You're going to choose a, a, a sturdy climbing rope? Or are you going to choose that frayed little bit of cord? I imagine you're going to choose the climbing rope. So why in life do we so often rely on our own 
wisdom and understanding rather than God's. You know, every time we're, we're faced with a choice and we disregard God, it's like we're abseiling on that flimsy little bit of cord. It's a dangerous thing to do. So what God is saying to Israel through the prophet is that he has, uh, through, through Jeremiah, is that he has proved himself to be trustworthy. And if they put their trust in anything else, things aren't going to go well for them. And that mess message is equally valuable to us this evening. Let's not go for the easy option. Let's not grow impatient with God. He knows what he's doing. Let's not uh, try and wrestle control of our lives away from God. We need to remind ourselves to stop trying to dig our own systems and to drink uh, from the spring of living water that is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you that you, you are a loving God who wants to obey best for us and has the power to change and transform us. And we're sorry for the times when we try and do things on our own and uh, we, we disregard your ways, we disregard what you might have to say to us. We don't try and find out uh, what it is that you've got planned for us. We just steam ahead without you. We pray, Father, that more and more as we go through life, we'll be willing to give you uh, control so that we're being guided by you, so we're being inspired by your spirit, so we know what your will is for us, and so we're drinking from this spring of living water rather than trying to dig our own system. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.